Well, tonight, as I mentioned to you last week, I want to share with you on a subject I've talked about before in the past. It's been quite a while, but a subject that is somewhat controversial, but one that I think we need to discuss from time to time and be open about and talk about, and that is the Holy Spirit and the will of God, especially the tendency for people to use the phrase, God told me. And uh, I'm going to tell you right up front, and then I'm going to work through. So I'm going to make a statement and work through why I'm telling you why, what I'm telling you, and that is I'm going to encourage you never to use that phrase. Okay? And I'm going to tell you why. Okay, I'm going to encourage you not to use the phrase, God told me, unless you're quoting directly from Scripture. So I would like you to turn in your Bibles to 2 Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 3, in verses 16 and 17, a passage of scripture that many of you probably have memorized in one of the English translations or another. 2 Timothy 3, verses 16 and 17. I'd like you to just kind of leave your Bibles open to that as I work through this message. Uh, not that I'm going to keep referring to it, but I want this impressed upon your minds as I work through this message. All scripture... All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Not most good works, not the majority of good works, but for every good work. All scripture is breathed out by God. All scripture is profitable for teaching. It's profitable for reproof. It's profitable for correction. And it is profitable for training in righteousness. So that, so that the man of God may be complete. What we need is scripture to be complete, equipped for every good work. Well, our first point tonight is the Bible complete? That is actually a, a critical question in your Christian life and in our life and beliefs as a church. Some Pentecostals and Charismatics, I don't want to say all, I don't want to say something sweeping, but some Pentecostals and Charismatics believe in what is known as open revelation. The belief that God is still revealing truth that is equal in authority with the Bible itself. And this is most often expressed in the phrase, God told me. Popular charismatic author and speaker J. Rodman Williams is a good example. He is one of many that I could give to you tonight. Um, but he says that he believes there are modern day prophets today who are equal with Elijah and Elisha, Jeremiah, Isaiah and Ezekiel, and just as God spoke to the prophets of the past, so he is speaking to prophets today, and what God is telling those prophets today is as binding upon the church and all Christians as the prophets of old. So I tell you that just because I don't want you to think I'm just making this up to give this sermon uh, they are very open about this. 
Um, they have written about it. They have spoken about it. You can find it in books and articles on YouTube. Um, so this is not something hidden. It is not something that is secret. I was watching a, an interview with a well-known televangelist, and if I said his name, everybody here would know who I am talking about. And in the course of that interview, and that's the wonderful part of YouTube, you can watch it multiple times, this televangelist told the person interviewing him uh, at least 10 times that God told him. God told me to do this. God told me to go there. God told me I was to minister in this way. God told me, God told me. Um, there are famous examples. I won't go into all of them. In past history where people have said that God told them to do a particular building project, to build a church, to build a hospital, uh, boldly saying that God had told them that he or she was to do this, and then, you know, asking people to raise millions of dollars in order to do that because God told them to do it. There are today modern-day schools of prophecy um, conducted by some denominations where young men and women are taught to be open to direct revelation from God for God to speak to them directly. And I just want you to know that the open revelation position raises all kinds of questions. How do I know that God is speaking to that man or that woman? Can I say almost anything and tell you that God told me and then you are bound to do exactly what I told you? read an interesting um, section. I won't quote the whole thing. But it said that almost all, with a couple of exceptions, almost all cults and all false religions in the world today were started by someone who claimed to have a direct revelation or word from God. So, if all of these cults and false religions, and I say false because they are incompatible and inconsistent with the teachings of historic Christianity as found in the Bible. If they all ha heard from God, how can they all have a different viewpoint? If they all heard from God, how come they contradict historic Christianity and how come they contradict each other if God has really spoken to them? So it is obvious that people are saying that God has spoken to them when he has not. But there is something even more important. I believe that many pastoral abuses throughout church history have been caused by this phrase. Church leaders telling their congregations that God told me to do this, and if you don't do it, then you will be removed from the church or you are disobeying God because you're disobeying what I told you to do. So the open revelation position that God is still directly speaking to people today just as he spoke to those who authored scripture is a, to me, a very dangerous position and open to all kinds of abuses. That is very different than what has been understood by historic biblical Christianity. Throughout church history, the church has affirmed and reaffirmed 
that the Bible is God's complete authoritative word to mankind. It is all we need. Numerous church councils have declared the 39 Old Testament books and the 27 New Testament books to be the closed, fully complete revelation of God. I want to share a statement with you that I've shared before. It is a statement that I came up for up with that was drawn from some conservative uh, theological textbooks just on what we believe about the Bible. In fact, I just shared it this morning in our membership class with those considering membership in our church. We just went over this very statement. And here is what we believe. Here is a synopsis of what we believe. We believe that all Scripture, the whole Bible, Old Testament 39 books and New Testament 27 books is God-breathed. The words of Scripture are just as much God's words as if he had verbally spoken them to us. The Holy Spirit guided the writers of each book using their own individual styles and personalities so that what they wrote is exactly what God wanted written. Divine inspiration extends equally and fully to the Old and New Testaments, to every book of both Testaments, to every part of each book, and to every word as recorded in the original manuscripts. We believe as a church in something called verbal plenary inspiration. You don't necessarily have to remember that, but that is what we believe. We believe in verbal plenary inspiration, which is that last sentence, is the definition of it. We believe that the divine inspiration of Scripture extends equally and fully to the Old and New Testaments, to every book of both Testaments, to every part of each book, and to every word as recorded in the original manuscripts. In the original manuscripts, Old Testament Hebrew, New Testament Aramaic and Greek, we believe that God so inspired them that in the original manuscripts, even the order of the words were divinely inspired by God himself. We have God's word to us, and it is called the Bible. In 2 Peter chapter 1 and verses 20 and 21, a well-known passage on inspiration, Peter says, knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own interpretation for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man but men but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit that's how we believe the Bible was written it, men were carried along by the Holy Spirit using their own writing styles and personalities to write exactly what God wanted them to write in Jude, verse 3, it says, Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. The faith. That means the biblical text. That which was given to us. The faith which was once for all, notice that phrase, once for all delivered to to the saints. It's not continuing, but was once for all delivered to the saints. In the book of Revelation, chapter 22 and verses 18 and 19, we have this very serious warning. 
The Apostle John writes, I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city which are described in this book. Now, it is clear that John is referring to the book of Revelation. We're not to add to it or take away anything from it. However, it has been held by the church throughout its history that the book of Revelation is the last book. And the canon, which means the authorized writings of Scripture for Christians, that's what it means, or the authorized writings of any religion, that the canon is closed after Revelation. And most Bible scholars believe that the warning in this book, though it is specifically applied to the book of Revelation, could be applied to any book of the Bible. And I say to you, very seriously tonight, do not add to it. And do not take away from it. John MacArthur writes this. just want to read this, what he says. He says, God's word, made of the Old and New Testaments, is one unique miracle. It came together over a period of 1,500 years. More than 40 men of God, prophets and apostles, wrote God's words, every jot and tittle, without error and in perfect harmony. No hymn is worthy to be compared to Scripture. No modern prophecy or word of wisdom is even in the same realm with God's eternal word. Heaven and earth will pass away but God's word will never pass away, Matthew 5.18. It's interesting as I was preparing for this week, and this doesn't happen often, I was given a gift, not an actual tangible gift, but a gift in something that I heard. On Thursday, Al Mohler, the president of Southern Seminary, in his uh, daily or his five-day-a-week podcast, The Briefing, spoke about this very subject. I mean, the very subject that I am speaking about tonight, he included in his podcast on Thursday. And I want to just read you a small excerpt from it. How it came up in his podcast is that the president of the Mormon Church, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, has come out recently and said that they no longer want to be called Mormons because... God told him, this is just recent, within the last two weeks, that God told him they're no longer to be called Mormons, they're to be called the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, which is an older name that they used because the name Mormon is offensive to people in American culture and in cultures around the world. Now, they can call themselves whatever they want to call themselves. I really don't care whether they call themselves Mormons or the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. That's not really the issue. The issue is how he said it came about. He told CNN that God told him this directly, that they are no longer to use the term Mormon, but the older term of Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Here's how the article begins. Al Mohler says, it begins, and I quote, this is the CNN story. 
When the messages come during the dark of the night, Richard M. Nelson reaches for his light and pen and takes dictation from the Lord. Oh dear, it's happening, the president of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints tells his wife, Wendy Nelson. I just remain quiet, and soon he's sitting up at the side of the table writing, she said in a recent church video. Sometimes, and this is CNN reporting, sometimes the spirit prompts the prophet's wife to leave the bed, though she'd rather sleep, and one such morning, Wendy Nelson told Mormon leaders her husband emerged from the bedroom, waving a yellow notebook. President Nelson then said to his wife, Wendy, you won't, let, you won't believe what's been happening for the past two hours. The Lord has given me detailed instructions on a process I am to follow. Al Mohler writes, that's what makes this story fascinating, especially to evangelical Christians. Here you have a man, a human being, 94 years old, that's how old Richard Nelson is, a 94-year-old white male in Utah who is declaring that God speaks to him directly with binding authority upon all of the believers and adherents to his religious group. Latter-day Saints, as they now are preferring to be called, believe in continuing revelation. Their canon, that means the set of religious writings, is open, ready to be revised or supplemented by its top cadre of leaders, first among whom is the church's president who is considered a prophet, a seer, a revelator. In some circles, Nelson is simply called the prophet. He, and elsewhere in the story, it says that he is Moses in a suit and tie. So, Al Mohler ends the story this way. And let me add, because I, wasn't, I don't want to quote the whole thing, but Richard Nelson believes that God changes his mind, that what he may have told him 20 years ago could be different than what he tells him today, that it is continually continually an open revelation, but God speaks to his modern-day prophets directly. This is how Al Mohler ends this segment. He said, this is not true of Christianity. We are, after all, called to contend for a faith once for all, the faith once for all delivered to the saints. But Christianity, more than any other faith, is based upon a direct claim to revelation, but it is a revelation given to us in Scripture. We believe that God does speak. We believe that God speaks right now, but we believe that God speaks through the Scriptures. It's very important for you as a Christian and for us as a church to understand we believe that God does speak. We believe that God speaks right now, but we believe that God speaks through the Scriptures. Now, I will tell you that sometimes, and my wife Lori can confirm this, if not often, wake up in the middle of the night. I always have my iPad with me because it's lit, and I can just open it up, and I will think of things I need to do, I will think of ideas maybe for my upcoming sermon. But never has God verbally spoken to me in the middle of the night. 
And as far as I know, never has God directly told my wife to get out of the bedroom because God is speaking to me. So at least up to the point tonight, that has never happened to me. God has never spoken verbally to me directly. However, however, there are times, and I don't know what you do, but there are times when I'm, I can't sleep. And because I have my iPad with me, and because I have the Bible on there, and I am following a Bible reading plan, I will start or continue reading the Bible. And when I am reading the Bible in the middle of the night, God is speaking to me directly. He is speaking to me through the pages of Scripture because that is how he speaks to us as Christians. So, that leads me to our main thought tonight. And our second point is, God told me. Many Christians use the statement, God told me. I have heard it many times. Kind of makes me cringe, but I am patient. I do not instantly rebuke someone. So if you do this, don't worry. I'll just listen patiently. Um, some people literally mean it. But some use it and don't really mean what they say. Some use the phrase, God told me, and I know what they mean. They mean that the Holy Spirit has prompted me, or I felt led, or I felt guided. I understand that. I understand that. But I think we just need to be careful. I'm going to give you three problems with the phrase, God told me. And these three problems are why I want to encourage you not to use this unless, unless you're quoting directly from Scripture. Number one, problem number one, you are implying, when you say God told me, you are implying that God spoke to you verbally. You are. You are saying that you heard the voice of God clearly, unmistakably, and that God told you to do this. Secondly, you are implying, whether you intend to or not, you are implying that God's word to you is equal in authority with Scripture. If you really believe that God told you to do something, then you are placing yourself on par with the authors of Scripture, and folks, that's a dangerous position to be. Third, if you use the phrase, God told me, you are implying that you could not possibly be wrong. You are. And I'm going to tell you tonight, it's always possible that you are wrong. And it's always possible that I'm wrong. Okay? I may sense the God guiding me in a particular direction. But to use that phrase, I think, places you in a dangerous position. You are implying that God spoke to you directly. You are implying that God's word to you is equal in authority with Scripture. And you are implying that you could not possibly be wrong. Remember in the Old Testament, and I know you know this, but if a prophet ever spoke something that didn't come true, it was clear he was not a prophet of God and he was put to death in the Old Testament. Good thing we're not in the Old Testament. 
So be careful with that phrase because you are implying that you could not possibly be wrong. Okay? Now, if you are at work and you have an unchurched, unsaved coworker who works near you, sometimes I'll hear people say, God told me I need to witness to her. God told me I need to share the gospel with her. Well, you do because the Bible says we are to share the gospel with any unbeliever with whom we have the opportunity that God places in our path. It's better to say, the Bible says, I'm to share the gospel. She's unchurched. I have an opportunity. God opened the door, and I'm going to share the gospel. That's very different than saying, God told me. Just be careful to say, God told me to take this job. Because then people will say, well, you can't turn it down. Because then you're disobeying God. And we hear that. Somebody says, God told me to do this or go in that direction. And we're saying, well, you can't disobey. You can't disobey the Lord. Well, if you're outside the bounds of Scripture, if you're outside something that is clearly taught in Scripture, just be careful with the way you use that. Um, let me move down to our third point, and that is the will of God. If God doesn't speak to me directly, then how do I know the will of God? So if he doesn't tell me what to do, how do I know the will of God? And there are two words, and it is the Bible. The Bible. That's how you know the will of God, the Bible. And you're going to say, yeah, I know that, but what about those decisions I make, like what home to buy, what car to buy, um, what job to take, where to go to college, all of those things. And those are important subjects. So how do I discern the will of God? And I'm going to give you five thoughts here. They're very simple. And as you see them listed in the PowerPoint and in, in your bulletins, it looks like five equal things, but they're not five equal things. The first one is above all of them. Here's the Bible, and underneath come the other four. So here's the Bible, and underneath come the other four. So first, we need to go to Scripture on any decision. Am I obeying the Bible? Am I violating any commands in Scripture? Those are the first two questions you need to ask for any decision in your life. Am I obeying the Bible? And am I violating any Scripture by making this decision, by taking this job, by doing this or doing that? If that all comes out good, then you want to continue simply to be obedient to God and his word. As you lead a, an obedient, God-honoring Christian life, as you are walking in the power of the Holy Spirit, as you are hungering and thirsting for him, he will guide you in what he wants you to do. I, I believe that. He will make it clear to you what he wants you to do. Prayer plays an important part. Lord, Help me to understand in complete obedience to your word what, it, what is it that you want me to do. Sometimes there are open doors and closed doors. You think this job is exactly what God wants you to take and the door closes. You think this is exactly the college that God wants you to go to and you don't get admitted there. It's okay. You know, it gives you a lot of freedom. God closes that door and he closes that door, so I'll try this one. Continuing to follow all of these principles. Another way 
is, I believe, the people of God help you to discern the will of God. This has become very important to me. And back when I left uh, the job I was in before that I talked about this morning and went in to pastoral ministry, I happened to listen to a sermon by J.I. Packer. I don't know if you're familiar with him, one of the greatest theologians of this past generation. And his sermon was on how to discern the will of God, and he was specifically talking to young men considering pastoral ministry. So it was a godsend for me to hear that. But he made a statement to me that I have always held on to in many other decisions, and that is this, God never reveals his will to you in a vacuum. Okay? Make sure you're obeying Scripture and you're not violating Scripture. But then seek the counsel of godly people that you trust. Seek the counsel of godly people that you trust. It, you, absolutely, if you're married, you want to seek the counsel of your spouse. You do. If you have Christian parents and siblings whom you are close to, you want their counsel. They know you. Maybe some of you don't have that, but if you do, seek that. And this is what he said ought to be primary in all of our lives. If you are involved in a local church, a New Testament local church, seek the counsel of godly leaders whether individually or together, seek their counsel on how they would counsel you in what you are thinking. And the example he gave is this. If you think you're called to pastoral ministry and your pastors and elders and deacons that you talk to say, I'm not sure. You're really not gifted to teach. I don't see you in pastoral ministry. He said that's a major red flag. And this is what he cautioned every young man. Don't just say, well, it's God's will. I don't care what they say. Don't take that position. Don't say, God told me, so I don't care what other people say. Because that's not a biblical way to approach the will of God. So, the Bible, obedience to God and his word, prayer, prevailing prayer, open and closed doors, and the counsel of godly people that you trust. Let me give you two very quick, small examples. As you know, our church embarked a number of years ago on a three-phase building remodeling project. We had prayed and planned about this as leaders for many years before it ever came about. We still kind of laugh at ourselves because no one will accuse our leadership of moving too fast. We took many years. We thought at one point we were going to talk it to death and it would never happen. But by God's grace, we began to move forward. And again, we, were we obeying Scripture? Were we violating Scripture? We came up with a proposal. We decided we were going to try to pay as we went, that we were not going to take out a loan as just something we felt strongly about as leadership. Then we formulated a proposal. We brought it to the congregation. The congregation voted on it, and we considered to move forward, and we sought input from all areas. Um, we had 
desperate needs for room, for nursery, for toddlers, for many of our small groups. If you remember back before we, we did the remodeling and adding on. And so we took all of those steps and God provided and we moved forward and we continued to seek the counsel of those in different ministries how we could best do that. But folks, at no point did we hear a voice from God saying, do a three-phase building project. No point, did we? Was it the will of God for our church? I believe it was. But remember this, and this is humbling, because as we look back, and I'm sure many years later we'll look back, did we do everything perfectly? No. Will we ever look back and say, I would have done that differently? Yes. Remember this, God often works in spite of you, not because of you. That's humbling. He does. He works out his will in your life in spite of you. You, you obey as best you know how. You seek him as best as you know how, but we never do it perfectly. That's why, folks, that's why be so careful, so careful about using a phrase like, God told me to do this. Another example would be I'm preaching through the book of Ephesians. And when I was thinking about preaching through the book of Ephesians, I prayed about it. It is a book that I hadn't preached through. It is my preference, preference personal preference, to speak expositionally through a book of the Bible. So I went to Pastor Ron, and I sat down and talked with him, and I said, you know, what are the small group leaders planning to do? What are the Sunday school classes planning to do? Is anybody going to be teaching through the book of Ephesians? And if I preach through it, will it be kind of redundant? And he, he shared with me what they were doing, and I took that into consideration. Then I sat down with Pastor Chad because I knew that he was taking the youth through the book of Ephesians, and I just wanted to make sure that this wasn't going to get, like, kind of dull and boring for the youth because I'm very concerned about how our church as a whole communicates and reaches out with our youth. And he said, no, no, no. He said, I think it would be good. He said, well, reinforce, reinforce what I'm teaching in the senior high ministry and we'll, you know, um, cross over sometimes. And sometimes I'll say something that you didn't or you'll say something I didn't. We thought it would be a good thing to do that. And so I decided, prayed about, and decided to preach through the book of Ephesians. I th thought it would be good for our church. Do I think it's the will of God? I do. Did God ever tell me directly, Pastor Tim, preach through the book of Ephesians? No, he didn't. He didn't. And I can't say that there weren't any mistakes, but I do believe God guided me to do that as I studied his word. And again, folks, it's always his will that we preach his word. He doesn't have to tell me that directly. It's always his will that we preach and teach his word. Don't forget this. And I think we forget this sometimes. The joy is in the journey. The joy is in the journey. As Al Mohler said, God is speaking to us today through his perfect, inerrant, authoritative word, the Bible. But God is doing more than just leading you to some place or somewhere. He is molding you into a man of God. He is molding you into a woman of God. He wants you to walk with him. 
He wants you to wrestle with him. He wants you to seek him and to know him. God is not just showing us where to go and what to do. He is maturing you in Christ. He is molding us in Christ. He is teaching us and drawing us into an even more intimate relationship with him. That's his goal and desire. It isn't just whether I take that job or that job. It isn't just whether I go to that school or that school. It isn't whether we build this or that. It's how do we get there? Are we trusting him? Are we loving him with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength? That is even more important to him than where the destination may take us. So, God does want you to know his will. He does. But he wants you to know his will as you pour yourself into his word. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for the word of God. Thank you that you illuminate scripture for us. And as we read and as we trust and as we walk with you, you do guide and direct our paths. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.